Chapter 13 Jarahami and Ket Halpak were reunited in the shelter of the cave. We were all exhausted and scared and confused, but we also had that slightly lunatic rush that comes from cheating death. Marco and Cassie were both fretting about being late getting home, and everyone was getting close to the two-hour morphing limit. But despite all that, it was kind of sweet seeing the two hork together. They didn't exactly hug. I guess hugging doesn't work all that well when you have blades all over. Ketalpak did touch the healing wound Jeremy had made in his own head. Look, we have to get out of here. Rachel said. She was still in her hork form. I'll be grounded for the weekend if I don't get home. And I have the feeling that we're going to be busy this weekend, so I can't get grounded. Your mom wouldn't ground a Packard Foundation outstanding student, would she? I asked. There was a kind of embarrassed silence. I wasn't supposed to know about Rachel's award. It's not that big of a deal, Rachel said. She looked down at the ground. What do we do about these guys? Jake asked. He was still in Tiger Morph. There were scratches and cuts on his sinuous orange and black fur. While I was off rescuing Ket Halpak, there had been a skirmish between the rest of my friends and some controllers. No one had been hurt, but once again, I wasn't there when the real fighting started. You guys go on home, I told the others. I'll keep watch over our Horkbashir friends here. You can't keep watch all night, Rachel protested. Hey, I have nothing else to do. I'll take a perch in the tree by the cave entrance. Not a problem. I will help keep watch, too. Axe chimed in. Let's, um, go outside and talk about this. Jake said. To the hork he said, Jara and Ket, you have to stay in this cave till we come and get you. Tomorrow sometime. What will you do with Ket Halpak and Jara Hami? Jara asked. We really don't know yet. Jake answered honestly. We will wait. Here. We, Falana, we thank you, Ket said. Outside, it had definitely turned dark now. No stars in the sky yet, but it was just a matter of minutes. Everyone demorphed while Axe and I kept a nervous watch. Okay, so what do we do about this? Jake asked, once everyone but me was normal again. I kept pace with the others by flitting from branch to branch. I'd let them walk a little way ahead, then fly a few yards ahead of them, and wait till they caught up. We have two real-life aliens, Rachel said. We could take them to the media. How can you deny there is a your conspiracy when you see those two? There is already a real-life alien among you, Axe pointed out. Me, but I have learned about human society. Humans invent all sorts of things that are not true. I have seen photographs of aliens in human newspapers. Do most people believe them? Those aren't real newspapers, Marco said. No one with half a brain believes those supermarket tabloids. And how do we know which newspapers and which TV networks are already infiltrated by the Yurks? Cassie said. We could end up handing the hork right back to the Yurks. 
Well, what exactly are we supposed to do with Romeo and Juliet back there? Margo asked sarcastically. Rent them an apartment? Buy them a house? Get them jobs? I mean, they are just slightly obvious, you know? People are probably going to notice them if they start shopping at the mall. We all laughed, but it was a brief laugh. The truth is, we didn't know what to do. Those two may be the only free Hork-Bajir in all the galaxy, Axe said. The only two free Hork-Bajir in existence. Like members of an endangered species, Cassie said thoughtfully. The last two free Hork-Bajir, maybe the last hope of their kind. Oh, man, Marco groaned. Cassie, don't start in with the ecology stuff, okay? Those are not a pair of spotted owls or humpback whales back there. I must stop here, Axe said. We are close to the edge of the forest. Everyone stopped, even though they were all real anxious to get home to be yelled at by their various parents. No one left. What Cassie said may be true, Jake pointed out. These two are an endangered species. What do you do with an endangered species? Cassie shrugged. You find them a safe, protected environment, and then you hope they have lots of little hork and somehow the species survives. Um, hello? This is Earth, Marco said. There is no safe place for an alien that looks like a mix of a gargoyle and a lawnmower. Yes, there is, I said. Four human heads and one andalite set of eyes all turned to stare up at me. Where? Rachel asked. I know a place, way up in the mountains, a valley. There are caves and freshwater streams. It's hidden. The picture of the place was clear in my mind. I could see it perfectly. I saw a beautiful waterfall. I saw tall trees that practically blotted out the sky in some areas. And a wide meadow filled with wildflowers. In my mind... I could even imagine the place being home to Hork-Bajir. Maybe we could take them there, I suggested. Jake shrugged. We don't have any better plan, right? Right now, I need to think about what story I'm going to tell my dad when I get home, Marco said. Tomorrow we can worry about taking Adam and Eve Hork-Bajir off to Tobias's Garden of Eden. Not a bad description, I thought. That was a little what the valley was like. I could see the place as clearly in my mind as any place I'd ever been. There was just one little problem. I'd never been there. I'd never actually seen it. And I had no idea where the lovely pictures in my mind had come from. Chapter 14 I usually spent the night in my favorite nighttime perch. It's a high branch up in the very middle of an incredibly old oak. I like the rough oak bark because it's easy to hold on to. I can sink my talons deep and drift off to my dreams. My regular perch is deep within the tree because it keeps me out of sight of the night predators. The raccoons and foxes and wolves all work at night. They don't worry me too much. Wolves and foxes don't climb trees very well. I do keep an eye out for raccoons because they can climb when they want to and they are nasty, dangerous enemies. But it's a rare raccoon that can climb my tree without my hearing him. 
I worry more about owls. Not that they usually prey on something as large and tough as a red-tailed hawk. Mostly they eat mice, same as I do. But they still scare me because they have powers I don't have. I'm used to having this edge over all other creatures. In the daylight, I hear better than most animals, and I see better than any of them. My vision is many times better than human vision. If I were at home late, and you were holding a book open way out in right field, I'd be able to read it. If you were walking by on the other side of the street, I'd be able to see a flea crawling around in your hair. But that's all in daylight. At night, I see a little better than a human. I mean, better than a normal human, but not much better. That's why the owls scare me. They see through darkness like I see through daylight. To an owl, I'm as visible as if I were outlined in bright red flashing neon. And an owl doesn't make any noise as it flies in for the kill. No noise. None. It makes me nervous. But what can you do? I guess everyone has problems, right? But at night, as I listen for the sounds of raccoons scrabbling and open my eyes to watch the ghostly owls do their killing work, I wish I had a house. If you'd ask me what I think about being a red-tailed hawk, I'd give you two different answers, depending on the time of day. When the sun is up, and the thermals are piling up the tall clouds, and I'm riding the high breezes a million miles above the humans who crawl along below me, well, then I'd say it's great. But at night, when I cower on my branch and peer half-blind through the leaves at a cold moon, and can only listen to the sounds of the night predators doing their work, well, that's different. This particular night was different for a couple of reasons. I was not on my regular perch. I was in a scruffy pine tree that was located near the cave. I was standing guard over the hork listening for any threats to them. I was out of my normal territory, in an unfamiliar tree, and I was jumpy. As I sat there, with my talons dug into bark, I heard the high-pitched squeal of a mouse. I drifted back towards sleep. I tried to remember what it had been like to sleep in a bed at night, but I couldn't really remember. I could only imagine what it was like for the others. Cassie, Jake, Marco, Rachel, all asleep in their beds, all with covers pulled up and pillows fluffed, alarm clocks glowing on their nightstands. I heard a sound. My eyes opened. I peered down through the branches and saw a shape like a deformed deer, ghostly pale in the filtered moonlight. Hi, Axeman, I said. Hello, Tobias. You heard me? I was trying to be silent. You're very quiet, for a big old four-legged, two-handed, four-eyed, scorpion-tailed alien. Axe laughed. One of these nights, I may show you. Ha, right. And eagles may fly out of my butt. Is that possible? Axe asked. Sounding alarmed? No. See, that's why it's funny. I understand. Axe said, clearly not understanding at all. Nights in the forest have gotten a bit better since Axe joined our little group. Having him around is not exactly like being in a nice snug bed, but it's good to have someone to talk to. The other forest animals don't have much to say. Our two orc bajir have been pretty quiet in there. I told Axe. They were talking earlier, mostly in their own language, but even then they used some English words. 
Why is that? The Hork-Bajir were never a very intellectual species, Ak said with a hint of snobbery. Their own language was primitive. It only had about 500 words. That's what we learned in school, anyway. I suppose it's true. I guess for duty here on Earth, the Yurks thought they should be able to speak a few words of human language. I didn't mean to eavesdrop on them, I said, but it was easy for me to hear. They kept using some pork word. It sounded like kawatnaj, something like that anyway. I don't know the word, Axe admitted. I don't speak hork I'll ask them tomorrow what it means. Maybe you shouldn't. They don't seem to like you Andalites. We tried to save them from the Yurks, Axe said with sudden anger. We failed, yes, but we did try. Why should they hate us? I don't know, Axe man. Maybe they've had Yurks in their heads for so long, they've just absorbed the Yurk hatred of Andalites. Well, the Yurks should hate us. We Andalites will defeat them in the end. And of course, you humans will help too. I laughed silently. I like Axe, but he is a bit arrogant about his own species. I guess I'll go patrol around again, Axe said. I haven't seen or heard anything unusual though. Do you really think we can lead these hork safely to this mountain valley you mentioned earlier? I didn't answer. Mentioning the valley just reminded me. Axe? Have you ever just had information pop into your head and not know where it came from? No, I don't think so. Maybe something I forgot and then remembered later. No, this is like stuff I couldn't possibly know. It's like... I froze. Taxons! They were crawling through the woods. I could see them in my mind. Huge centipedes, each as big around as a redwood tree. They moved on dozens of rows of needle-sharp legs. They kept the upper third of their bodies erect, keeping their fragile rows of upper legs clear of the ground. I could see them in my mind. I could see the grasping round mouths ringed with teeth. I could see the jelly glob eyes. Tobias? Axe asked, sounding concerned. Taxons, I said. There are definitely taxons coming. Where? Axe asked in alarm, his tail cocked back, ready for a fight. I... they're coming! I... I looked around me at the dark woods. No sign of anything strange, let alone taxons. But I was dead sure they were coming, just the same. Axe, you know how I was just talking about knowing things I couldn't possibly know? It just happened again, just now. There are like a dozen taxons coming this way. Somehow they can smell the hork like bloodhounds. All four of Axe's eyes looked up at me. He looked grim. Taxon trackers can sense warm flesh from miles away, as long as they have a sample. They're a special breed of taxon. How did you know that? How did you know taxon trackers hunt by smell? I don't know, Axe, but I am sure going to find out, I said angrily. Someone or something is using me, and I don't like it very much. Axe ignored my outburst. 
If the Yurks have sent taxons, they'll back them up with Hork-Bajir or humans. No amount of taxons could ever destroy a pair of Hork-Bajir. Jera Hami and Kat Halpak could slice up taxons all day. Can we throw the taxons off the scent? I asked. No. If they have smelled these Hork-Bajir, nothing will throw them off. Then we just have to move the Hork-Bajir. Now. Taxons can't be all that fast. But we need to move out. Axe, I can get the Hork-Bajir started. You have to get to Jake quickly. Tell him what's happening. Yes, Tobias. I'll do that. But how will we find you if you are busy hiding from the Yurks? Take to the air. You all have bird of raptor morphs. Eagles, ospreys, falcons. Use them. There's nothing raptor eyes can't find. I'll be heading toward the mountains. Heading toward the mountains with a pair of hork while someone or something used me like a sock puppet. Well, that was going to change. I was the predator. I was the hunter. No one was going to use me. Chapter 15 Jarahami, we have to go, right now. I told the hork as Axe ran off into the night. Jara stuck his bladed snake-like head out through the bushes. What has happened? Taxons are tracking you. I swear he went pale. His narrow eyes widened in fear. Taxon, he said, as if the very word made him want to spit. But he reacted very quickly after that. He went back into the cave and came back out with Ket. I still couldn't really tell one of them from the other. At least not in the dark. Dark. Cat said, looking around. Yeah, I know, but I guess that won't stop the taxons, so let's get going. But how exactly we were supposed to move through the pitch-black forest, I had no idea. I couldn't see, and to my disappointment, the hork were not at all good at seeing in the dark either. It was tough going. I couldn't exactly drag my feathers through the thorn bushes. The hork couldn't fly, and it was totally dark. The kind of dark you only get when you are a long way from the lights of homes and cars and street lamps. It was so dark you couldn't see a tree till you ran into it. It was like being blind. I rode on Jarahami's horns, just like I had with Rachel. Only we were moving more slowly and trying not to leave tracks. Where? Jarahami asked. Go, where? I don't really know, I grumbled. I guess the little voice in my head will tell me. The hork grunted like that made perfect sense to him. My head voice told me to run. When? What voice? I couldn't see his face, so I couldn't see his expression. Not that I would have known what a hork expression meant, anyway. Cut Halpak and draw Hami at Yurk Pool. Yurk drained out. Yurk in pool. Head voice say, run, go that way. I sighed and narrowly avoided getting slapped in the face by a branch. Talking to hork is frustrating. You're saying the idea just popped into your head to run away from the yurk pool? I asked. Head say, run Jarahami, take Kat Hapak, run and be free, run from yurks. I ask, how? How will Jarahami and Kat Hapak be free? Head say, I will send a guide. What? 
Hensei, run Jarahami. No, that last part, about a guide. Head voice say, I will send a guide. Who, me? The hork didn't answer. Always quickly coming to realize that hork don't really get a lot of things. Speech seems unnatural to them. And it's true, they are not the geniuses of the universe. Which was fine. But I was getting more and more annoyed by the whole thing. I had been moved around, put in one place or another. Things I couldn't possibly know had popped into my head. I was being used. And I really didn't like the idea of that. I deeply didn't like the idea of that. Okay, that does it. Stop. I told the two hork They stopped. The two big monsters just stood there in the dark between trees and waited. We go now? No. Talk's on coming. Yep, I said. I know. We go now? Nope, not until I get some answers, I said defiantly. This little parade stops right here until I get some... By the time I said answers, I was not in the forest anymore. I was not anywhere. Not anywhere I could understand, at least. I felt myself floating, hanging in the air, only there wasn't any air. I wasn't flying, just floating. There was light, a beautiful blue-green sort of light. It didn't come from any one place, though. It just seemed to be coming from everywhere at once. One thing was for sure, I was not in the forest anymore. The voice was huge, but not harsh. It filled my brain and seemed to resonate throughout my body. My feathers quivered. My fingers tingled. Fingers? And only then did I begin to realize that I was changed. I looked down at my body, and somehow, in a way I can't explain, I seemed to be seeing through my body too. It was as if I could see everything, from every angle, at once. Like I was seeing myself through a million different eyes. I was no longer a red-tailed hawk. But I was not human, either. At least, not the way I had once been human. I had arms that were wings. I had legs that ended in talons. I had a beak, but it was a mouth, too. I know this all sounds crazy. I know it's impossible to really imagine it very well. But somehow, I was both a human and a bird, and some third thing that was in between the two. We had seen many incredible things since we first found a dying Andalite prince in an abandoned construction site. I've seen Yurks and all their tools, the Taxons, the Geds, the hork I've seen Andalites and met the Chi, the androids in human form. I've traveled through time and to the Yurk pool, and into orbit in spaceships. But there was only one species that could do this. Only one species that could own that huge, head-filling voice. The Elemist, I said in an actual voice that came from my own mouth. Then, from the vague Turkish fog around me, I saw it flying toward me. It was a bird of prey, a raptor, some undefinable shape, part falcon, part eagle, part hawk. It had a snow-white belly and reddish-round back and a tail that spread to show a dusky rainbow of colors. The bird flew to me, then stopped and floated in mid-air. 
You're just a device, an alchemist, or a alchemist. It laughed, and the whole turquoise universe laughed along. So you're the puppet master, I said. I should have known, but this isn't how you looked last time we saw you. The bird shape smiled. Don't ask me how it smiled with a beak. It just did. I chose the shape you would have identified with. Baloney, you know better than that. You know I'm human. Are you? You don't, you don't look, look like a human, human to me. me. I felt a queasiness in my stomach. I looked at the body I had. A body that was equal parts boy and bird. What do you want from me? Why are you making me do things I don't want to do? What have I made you do, device? You put me in places I don't want to be. You've dragged me into this stupid mess with these two hork -Bajir. The Elemist dissolved from bird to human, but not entirely human. He was human with wings. He looked like I did at the moment. And when he spoke again, it was with a simple human voice. Once I put you and your friends in a position to give your own former species a chance. I looked deep into the future and found a way to help you without using my power directly. And now you are in a position to help the hork -Bajir. Do they not deserve the same chance as humans? You're trying to save the hork race from the Yurks? The Elemis smiled again and shook his head. We do not interfere. We do not use our power for one species against another. Bull, I said. The Elemis let that go with just a faint smile. I will not force you, Tobias. And I will not guarantee you will even succeed. There is every chance you will die and the two hork will die. And all will have been a waste. Thanks. That really cheers me up, I said. Why me? Why stick me with this job? What am I, some kind of hero? The Elemis didn't laugh. Tobias, you are a beginning. You are a point at which an entire timeline may turn. I guess that should have made me feel important. But it didn't. I wasn't interested in being flattered. You want my help? I asked the Elemist. Fine. Then I want yours. You're just about all-powerful, according to Axe. You can make entire galaxies disappear if you want. I don't know why you don't just make things happen the way you want them to. But hey, whatever. I looked him right in the eyes. Right into eyes that were a disturbing mirror image of my own. You want me to lead these Hork-Bajir to this place you've put in my head? Fine. But I want to get paid for my services. And what do you want, Tobias? You know what I want, I said, almost choking on the words. You know! Yes, but do you know what you want, Tobias? The Elemist asked. And if you get it, will you still know? And suddenly, without any sensation of movement, I was back in the dark of the forest. Hello, Phantomorphs, and thank you for listening to another episode of Audiomorphs, the Animorphs Auditory Experience. As always, this is your host, Daniel. And here we have it, back at it again with the Elemist. Uh, as you might have noticed, I've tr 
uh, I am trying, not I have tried, I am trying a uh, new sound for the Elemist, because I don't know, uh, I wasn't 100% happy with how I did it the old way, and also it was more work, and also I don't super remember what I did, but, uh, you know, it's God, so that's why the voice changed. Don't worry about it. (laughs) Ooh, there is a truck outside my window. I hope you guys cannot hear that. But, uh, thank you for listening. I don't have any sort of important announcements, although watch this space. I am going to be producing a new podcast very soon, and I will let you all know about that when it comes out. But in the meantime, um, oh yes, before I forget, uh, songs. I, I would like, uh song suggestions if if you have any that you feel like really kind of embody the spirit of animorphs that i can use for the intro songs because i am running low you can send those or any other questions comments or suggestions to audiomorphscast at gmail.com or audiomorphscast.tumblr.com and of course as always if you use uh apple podcasts and you would like to leave me a rating review i sure would appreciate that Otherwise, you know, you could just tell a friend. That helps spread this podcast, too. Uh, last but not least, be sure to check out theapodcalypse.com. Uh, it is my website that I pay for that has all the silly things I do in my free time posted up there, uh, as well as a lot of, like, podcasts my friends make that I, you know, co-sign as good quality content. So, you know, check it out. It's a lot of fun. Uh, that's all I got for you this week, so I will see you all next week. My name is Daniel, and I believe one day the Andalites will come. Until then, we fight. <laughs>